This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17 is a very important passage of scripture, not only because it is affirming the power of the gospel, but because it is outlining what the gospel is. It is the good news that sinners are justified before God only on the basis of the righteousness of Christ, which is credited to that person's account only through saving faith in him. It all sounds so familiar, but imagine if you had lived your life going to church and you never heard the true gospel that justification is by faith alone through grace alone because of Christ alone. Well, because of the faith and obedience and scholarship and I would say boldness of reformer Martin Luther in 1517, the gospel, which has never changed, suddenly burst forth again through the darkness of that time period and changed the world. And it all goes back to that verse upon which Luther focused, Romans 1.17. So as we come up on Marking Reformation Day on October 31st, how do we best remember the Reformation, especially in an age where Christians face increasing pressure to modify the gospel or to minimize its importance as we focus on ecumenism? We're going to tackle it all today with Mike Gendron, founder of the ministry Proclaiming the Gospel. He is the author of Preparing for Eternity. And Mike's testimony is especially relevant to this topic because he is a former Roman Catholic whose life was changed when he understood and believed the biblical gospel. His ministry now reaches out with the gospel to Roman Catholics and a whole lot of others too. And we're so glad about it. Mike, it's wonderful to welcome you back. How are you? Well, it's always good to be back with you, Janet. I just love your courageous stand for the truth and how you want to make it known to your audiences. Oh, well, Mike, right back at you. Jesus is the best, and I love him, and I love being a Christian, and I know you do too. And none of us would be Christians without the gospel. So this is really an occasion for celebrating the gospel, right? The Reformation is not just a historical event that we can reflect back on. It is a recovery and a rediscovery of the gospel that has always been. Well, you're right, and I loved your opening statements about the importance of Romans 117. It was Martin Luther who actually read that, and he was reading it through the lens of Roman Catholic tradition. And he misinterpreted it, thinking that he had to become righteous through his own efforts. And he knew that he wasn't righteous. In fact, despite everything he did to earn God's favor, he knew that he fell short. And it really, really, um, more than anything, I think, really burdened him. He just felt like he was unrighteous. He was fearful of the wrath of God. But in 1514, while lecturing through the Psalms and studying the book of Romans, he came to realize the glorious truth that had escaped him. The righteousness of God revealed in the gospel is not merely the righteous requirement of God, of which all men fall short, 
but it's also a provision of God when God imputes Christ's righteousness to those who believe. And this really summed up the glorious transformation of Martin Luther. He said, I felt as if I were entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gates that had now been flung wide open. He had discovered, as you say, that justification is by grace through faith in Christ. Well, some people may wonder, why is it that Protestants and Roman Catholics differ on this issue of justification? And what is the difference between the gospel, as you just outlined it, and then what the Roman Catholic Church would say the gospel actually is? Well, as you said, the Reformation really recovered the gospel of grace. And it was through the five solas of the Reformation that we now know that the gospel is true as revealed in Scripture. You know, the gospel had been hidden from the common people for over 900 years because the Bible was only available in Latin. So the common person at that time had no idea what the Bible said. And so it was the Word of God that was preached by men of God that were empowered by the Spirit of God that brought forth children of God. And Martin Luther would be the first to say he didn't cause the Reformation. He just merely proclaimed the Word of God, and that began setting captives free. And that's what the Lord Jesus said in John eight thirty one and 32. He said, if you are truly a disciple of mine, you will abide in my word, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's what happened to Martin Luther. As he studied the word of God, the truth began setting him free. And we know that every unbeliever is held captive by the devil to do his will. We see that in Second Tim- Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26. Paul exhorts us to pray for those who are in opposition to the gospel, that God would grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth so they can escape the snare of the devil that holds them captive to do his will. So, Janet, only the truth of God's word can set people free from the bondage of the devil and from religious deception. And as we look at Martin Luther's conversion, I had the very similar conversion. It was the Word of God and the Spirit of God that brought forth life. I didn't have anybody witnessing to me. I began opening the Bible at age 35 and discovered these glorious truths that Martin Luther discovered some 504 years ago. That's amazing. Your testimony is so compelling, Mike, and I'm wondering, that's interesting that you didn't have anybody witness to you, but you were able to find the Word of God and get the gospel just by reading the Bible. What was it that was different between what you had been hearing as a longtime Roman Catholic and what you were discovering in the pages of Scripture? What, What I discovered was that there are really just two different kinds of faith. Every religion falls under one of two categories. Either it's human achievement or it's divine accomplishment. And as a Roman Catholic, I was trying to get to heaven by my own achievements. I was doing everything that I could to merit the graces necessary for salvation. And I think two verses that really opened my eyes that I was deceived were Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works so that no man may boast. And so when I recognized that all the works that I was doing, all the sacraments I was receiving, all the penance I was doing to have my sins forgiven, I recognized it was the grace of God. And when we look at the five solas of the Reformation, we see that the reason there was five solas is because if you were a Catholic in the 16th century, 
the Catholic Church taught that you are saved by grace plus merit, by faith plus works, by Christ plus other mediators, according to Scripture plus tradition, and it went for the glory of God plus glory to Mary and the saints. And so the Reformers, upon reading the Bible and discovering the doctrine of justification, they said, no, the Catholic Church has it all wrong. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. And so that really marked the Reformation, the regaining, rediscovering the gospel of grace, and also the doctrine of justification. Yes. Well, this is what it's all about, and I want to get into a little bit more detail on that, because if I'm saying this correctly, and please do correct me if I'm wrong here, Mike, but the way I've heard it put is that the difference between the gospel as laid out in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and so many other passages in Scripture is the imputed righteousness of Christ. This is what we embrace as evangelical Protestants versus an infused righteousness. Would that be the right way to characterize it? The Roman Catholic theology looks to an infused righteousness, that as you have faith in Christ, then that righteousness grows in you. Is that correct? You're absolutely right. In fact, we see that the doctrine of justification really declares the inflexible righteousness of God as the judge who must punish every sin that's ever been committed by everyone who's ever lived. Because he's a righteous God, he must punish sin, and the only way condemned sinners can be justified is through faith in the sin-bearing, substitutionary death and resurrection of Christ alone, who satisfied divine justice. And so, as you say, there is a righteous judge in heaven, and the gavel comes down, and those who have faith in Christ are declared righteous. They're no longer condemned because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to them at that very moment. It's instantaneous. Yes. Hang on, Mike. We're going to take a short break. We'll come right back to it. Mike Gendron with us talking about the anniversary of the Reformation and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're listening to Janet Meffer Today. Over 169,000 babies saved and more than 51,000 commitments to Christ through the ministry of preborn as they celebrate 15 years of saving babies' lives. Here's Dan Steiner, president of preborn. This is a reflection of God's heart as the father to the fatherless to be able to look across America and see this tragedy, this holocaust of abortion, and know that people like you are doing something about it. It's one thing to say that we're against abortion, but it's really another to take action. Will you join Preborn in providing hope, love, free ultrasounds, and the gospel in action across America? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help to rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible. 855-402-BABY. This is Janet Mafford for Bible League International. Jaime is an itinerant pastor in Ecuador. In Latin America, there, there are violence. Pastors and Christian workers uh, face with attackers, thieves, gangs. So that's the, that's the problem. 
Jaime will travel days by foot, boat, and mule. He's been beaten by warlocks, robbed, and suffered broken bones after falling in the Andes Mountains. What awaits him at the end of each trip? A thriving congregation of hundreds of believers in an area where Christianity is fiercely opposed. When I share Jaime's story, I recall Isaiah 6, 8. Whom shall I send? Who will go? I believe this man is enduring more than some pastors ever will. And like others in the world where Bibles are desperately needed, Jaime is humbly asking us to send God's word. For only $5, you can send a Bible to Latin America and around the world, and a special match will double your gift. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. Welcome back. Reformation Day coming up on October 31st. And we always pass this day with great thankfulness and gratitude to God, really, for the reformer Martin Luther, his boldness and his willingness to uncover the gospel yet again for so many people, not just during the year 1517, but on into today. So many Christians owe him so much and are so overwhelmed, I think, at least I am, to understand how amazing it was that God's grace flowed yet again at the time that Martin Luther lived. Mike Chendron from Proclaiming the Gospel is with us, and we were talking about the difference in the understanding of justification between uh, Reformed theology or Lutheran theology, justification by faith alone, which is what the Bible teaches, versus Roman Catholic theology, which has an understanding of the infused righteousness. Now, does this come down to a translation issue? Because it seems to to me, that was something that was stressed that when Luther was translating the Bible, he discovered it had not been translated correctly, that passage in Romans 1. Well, you're absolutely right. In fact, uh, Roman Catholicism really has a different view on justification. And Martin Luther said, if you get justification wrong, you get the gospel wrong. And it can be said that justification is the very hinge upon which the gates of heaven open or close. And so when we look at the differences, according to the Bible, justification is a change of one's legal status before God, whereby a condemned sinner has been acquitted and declared righteous because of his faith in the only righteous one, our Lord Jesus Christ. But Rome says justification changes the inner man, not his legal status. Hmm. And we know the Bible teaches justification is instantaneous, but Rome says, no, it is a process. In fact, they intermix justification with the doctrine of sanctification. Yes. But Janet, it's also important to know that Rome says initial justification is by the sacrament of water baptism, which is really peculiar because the Bible says justification is by faith in what God accomplished in Christ. And so we know that a seven-day-old infant has no capacity to have faith or put their trust in anything, but that is what's called initial justification. And we know from the Bible that justification is permanent. It's never lost by sin. In fact, the legal status of a justified man is as unchangeable as the righteousness of Christ. And I love sharing Hebrews 10:14. By one offering, he has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. But again, Rome says, no, justification is temporal. It can be lost by sin. And then it has to be regained through the sacraments of penance and good works. 
So a Catholic never knows where he stands before a holy and righteous judge in heaven. Oh, man, and that's that's such an important issue, the assurance of your salvation. If your assurance is in Jesus Christ and him alone rather than yourself, then you can rest in God's promises. If you always think it's up to you to do more, try harder, run faster, that assurance will always elude you. And, and you look at, I'm looking at the Council of Trent's Canon Number 9, Mike, which says, if anyone says that a sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning nothing else is required in order to obtain the grace of justification, let him be anathema. That's how far apart the Roman Catholic Church is from the Protestant side. And yet today we have an age in which we blur the lines a lot. Well, you're being mean or you're being impolite if you point out that we have these substantive differences that were monumental at the time of the Reformation. What do you make of the Council of Trent and what they said at the time and why it matters now? Well, the Council of Trent was the Counter-Reformation. They had to respond to the Reformers who were preaching the Word of God and giving assurance of salvation to those who repented and put their faith in Christ alone. And so Roman Catholicism offers no assurance. In fact, there is to say that if you say that you have assurance, then you're committing the sin of presumption. Mm. But you just read one of the many anathemas from the Council of Trent, that condemn born-again Christians who believe in the five solas of the Reformation. And so the difference between Roman Catholicism is the difference, and, and biblical Christianity is the difference between heaven and hell. And I don't say that to be harsh, but I, I love Roman Catholics, and I must say that I hate the institution that deceives them, because I I was one for 35 years, and it had God not opened my eyes to see the glorious truth of the gospel, I'd still be lost and headed down the wide road to destruction. And so it's very important as we see Roman Catholicism reaching out to evangelicalism to call separated brethren back home to Rome for the fullness of salvation, we need to take a stand. We need to recognize that they are condemning us with many anathemas for believing the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, and I think it is very important to reiterate this is not meant to be Catholic bashing. It is simply to go back to the scriptures and say, what do the scriptures actually teach? Certainly Christians across the spectrum will you know, not agree on everything, whether or not it's the issue of baptism or the Lord's Supper, the exact definition, et cetera, et cetera. But the gospel is the central issue. I mean, this is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls, according to Martin Luther. And I think he's right about that. I want to go back to something you said, though, Mike, because this is really important. When you're talking about justification being a judicial declaration of God. That can kind of make people, you know, go go a little blank in the eyes sometimes. Well, that's too big. The words are too big. But you look at, for example, Deuteronomy 25.1, and it says, if there's a dispute between men and they go to court and the judges decide their case and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, et cetera, et cetera. One commentator said the judges didn't make the people righteous or wicked. They simply declared what was the truth concerning the person under judgment. And and also there were some other citations in Proverbs. And that's interesting because that just confirms the gospel was the same, even going back to uh, what God said to Abraham in Genesis 15, 6. He believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is a gospel that was there from the beginning and is here today. It hasn't changed. It hasn't been twisted and we can have confidence in it. What are your thoughts? Well, you just um, stated it so beautifully, and that's 
that's the position of every unbeliever. They stand condemned before a holy and righteous God. You know, Psalm 97.2 says that righteousness and justice are the very foundation of God's throne. And so we know that God rules righteously, and he cannot let the sinner go unforgiven. I mean, he must punish every sin. And so the only way that can happen is if the sinner trusts in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's his passport to heaven. That's a declaration by God that you're no longer condemned, but you're now justified because of your faith in Christ. And now we wear the robes of Christ's righteousness, and that's a permanent declaration by God. It does not, it's not undone by sin, as the Roman Catholic Church says. We are justified forever because the righteousness of Christ is unchanging, and it's been imputed to us at the very moment of faith. And so, as you say, this is just such glorious truth. It transformed Martin Luther, and we're so thankful that God raised up the Reformers that returned the Word of God to the people. And, you know, it's really interesting because the Catholic Church recognized that people were being set free by the truth of God's Word. So you know what they did? They put the Bible on the list of forbidden books. Hmm. In fact, if you were a Roman Catholic and you had in your possession a Bible, you could not have your sins forgiven until you returned the Bible to the Church. And that's from the Council of Trent. I would encourage anybody that's doubting what I say to look at the doctrines and decrees of the Council of Trent. You will see the Bible was indeed on the list of forbidden books. That's very telling. What about the Second Vatican Council? Because people will discuss sometimes how, sure, that's what Trent said, but these days we're more modern, we're more progressive, we've come a long way. Uh, uh, Did Vatican II affirm what Trent said? Yes, it did. In fact, every council, when they have a meeting of all the bishops, when they speak with one voice, they're said to have an infallible voice. And so each council builds itself on preceding councils. But one of the significant proclamations of Vatican II was they issued the decree of ecumenism. And rather than calling us heretics now, that is, born-again Christians, they now call us separated brethren. Right. And this decree of ecumenism is an attempt to bring all professing Christians back home to Rome. And that's the goal of the Pope, is to bring everyone under the control of the papacy. And we know from biblical prophecy that in the end, that's what will take place. It will be a one-world global religion, and they will worship the false Christ, who is the Antichrist. And, you know, it's interesting, Janet, because the Reformers looked at the Pope as being the Antichrist. Yes, and definitely did. he had the spirit of Antichrist, but as we look at the times in which we live, we know that there will be a false prophet that will also team with a world dictator, and together they'll bring in a period of peace. And I think we're on the very verge of that happening. We're definitely in the end times. Well, and when you talk about the ecumenical thing, we have our own problems in evangelicalism with that. I mean, even going back to evangelicals and Catholics together, which happened in the 90s, and that was a very big controversy, rightly so, because the gospel was at stake. And you had some very well-regarded evangelical leaders on, on both sides of the aisle, but that had to be hashed out. Where would you say the ecumenical movement stands right now among evangelicals, um, you know, just across the board? Yeah, it all started, as I mentioned, from the Catholic Church. They were the initiator in 1965. But in the 1990s, we had evangelicals and Catholics together accords, and they were crafted by Chuck Colson, the late Chuck Colson. 
And then we had Catherines and Lutherans coming together on a joint declaration on justification yes. in 1999. Right. And most recently, we have the Manhattan Declaration that was penned in the year 2009. And each time there's a new accord, more and more evangelical leaders are signing on, and very highly visible, highly influential evangelical leaders. And so most of evangelicals follow personalities rather than testing their stance with the Word of God. And Mm. so now over 600,000 evangelicals have signed the Manhattan Declaration, which dares to say, and I quote, we are joining together Catholics, Orthodox, and Evangelicals to proclaim the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in His fullness. Mike, hang on. We'll come right back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Reformation Day is coming up on October 31st, something very important in the history of Christendom, and we owe so much to what the Lord did during that time period in the 16th century and beyond. It is arguable, and and very strongly so, that we wouldn't be the nation we are and wouldn't have had the history we had were it not for the Reformation. So many other results of the Reformation that are critical, but we have a problem, and that is these days, uh, Mike Gendron with us from Proclaiming the Gospel, these days, it becomes awkward if you stand on the biblical gospel of justification by faith alone, because we're kind of in an ecumenical spirit. And you were talking about that, Mike, before we went to the break. I want you to read that quote from the Manhattan Declaration one more time, if you would, because we had to kind of quickly jot out, and I want to make sure that people hear it. Sure. The quote is, is, is this, we are Christians, that is Catholics, Orthodox, and Evangelicals who have joined together across historic lines of ecclesial differences to proclaim the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in its fullness. So this implies the Reformation was a mistake because we've already seen how antithetical the Roman Catholic position on justification is with the biblical position, and yet we have over 600,000 evangelicals that have signed on that's amazing. And as you said, this is more in, in indication, I would say, of people's love of celebrity. My favorite Christian celebrity signed it, so it must be fine. That's not true. You have to you have to take the word of God and compare it to whatever somebody is saying. And clearly you can't have Catholics, historic Protestants, and Eastern Orthodox uh, churches all agreeing on the gospel. That's why they're separated in the first place. Well, you're so right. And I'd also like to quote a recent survey of a 1,000 senior pastors from LifeWay Research. Uh It revealed almost two-thirds of evangelical pastors say Pope Francis is their brother in Christ, Uh. and more than one-third say they value the Pope's view on theology, and that he has improved their view of the Catholic Church 
you can see the crisis within evangelicalism today. They're no longer preaching the purity and exclusivity of the gospel of Christ, but they're now making it more inclusive to the point that they're joining hands with an apostate church of Rome. Well, what's really weird about that is if it were Benedict or Pope John Paul II, who, you know, Pope John Paul II fought communism and Benedict was very conservative on a lot of issues that evangelicals are conservative on. Francis is just off the rails. I mean, he's I'm not trying to insult anybody, but Francis uh, openly loves uh, basically Marxist thought. I mean, for for two thirds of evangelical pastors to say that it's either sheer ignorance of the situation or sheer ignorance of the Bible. How in the world can you ever say that? It's uh, it's really hard for me to understand and believe Um, Louis Palau, who used to be very evangelical toward Roman Catholicism. In fact, he used to take our gospel tracts down to South America Hmm. to reach Roman Catholics because he knew they were lost. But yet when his friend, Pope Francis, ascended to the papacy, he said, Francis is a very Bible-centered and Jesus Christ-centered man. He's really centered on the pure gospel. He's a friend of evangelicals. And so people look to Louis Palau and they say, well, he must know since he's such a highly visible evangelical. But I think one of the most disturbing quotes that I've read recently, and it just came out last month, it was when Al Mohler interviewed Roman Catholic Archbishop Charles Chaput. And in the interview, he said something that was very troubling. He said that Pope Benedict, the former Pope Benedict, was one of the most brilliant theological minds of our times. And this is very troubling because Pope Benedict, when he was uh, the cardinal, he actually wrote the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And so when you look at the new Catechism of the Catholic Church, it twists and distorts the gospel throughout. So Al Mohler is praising a pope that is under divine condemnation, according to Galatians 1, verses 6 to 9. And that's why this is troubling, because people look to Al Mohler as a very intelligent man, and surely what he's saying is true. And so what this does is it puts the Roman Catholic Church as a mission field off limits to many evangelicals because they're looking to Al Mohler as telling them the truth about this pope. Yeah, add that to the list of things that are troubling about Al Mohler, not to mention the fact that he signed the Manhattan Declaration. And, you know, this is important, though, Mike, and and I want to emphasize, because I want to clarify what I said a minute ago, lest I misunderstood about this. I wasn't trying to say that because Benedict was more conservative than Francis, that these pastors who were surveyed should have considered him a brother in Christ. I didn't mean it that way, other than to say that sometimes people will be warm toward people who seem to be on the same side on a lot of social issues. But be that as it may, here we are. It doesn't seem to be getting any better. I agree with you that we're in the last days. I think we're seeing increasing apostasy. Where do you see this going in evangelicalism? Because on the one hand, we've had a lot of people rediscover the Reformation in the last couple of decades, and that was supposed to be a glorious revival of evangelicalism. And instead, you're seeing a lot of these same people going woke. How do you interpret all of that, Mike? I just, as I said, I think people are following celebrities now rather than testing every man's teaching with the Word of God. We're not being good Bereans. And we have so many seeker friendly churches today that are not giving people the whole counsel of God. 
remember it was the Reformation that put the Word of God back in the hands of the people, right. and now the 21st century evangelical church is taking the Word of God away from the people mm. and entertaining them and making them feel happy instead of holy. And so the evangelical church is really going through a crisis right now, but it shouldn't surprise us because the Lord said in the end times there would be a growing apostasy, people falling away from the faith of the apostles, falling away from the exclusivity of the gospel, falling away from Jesus Christ. And so we're really seeing all of that unfold. It's very troubling, but it gives us a great opportunity to proclaim the gospel and its purity and its exclusivity. And of course, you know, as well as I do, that when you do that, you're going to be regarded as intolerant and unloving and divisive. But you know, the truth of God's Word is divisive. It divides unbelievers from believers. And we have so many professing Christians today that have never been born again because of our evangelical leaders that are compromising and diluting the gospel and removing the offense of the, of the gospel from them. Yes. How does this call for unity that we're hearing from so many corners of the church come into play when we are considering the defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, it's antithetical. You cannot have unity with unbelievers. In fact, Paul addresses that in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 to 18. What does an unbeliever have in common with a believer? What does light have in common with darkness? We cannot join hands to fight the cultural wars. We have to remain sanctified by the truth. And it really shows, I think, Uh, A low view of God, if evangelicals think they have to join hands with unbelievers to accomplish God's purpose, Hmm. God can do it with those who are sanctified by the truth, but um, we're doing it the wrong way. We're, We're forgetting about the sovereignty of God and the omnipotence of God. Well, and it's interesting because you will hear Christians say, well, what is the difference really between the Roman Catholic Church and evangelical Protestantism? We all believe in justification by faith. They confess the Apostles' Creed, which have all the orthodox doctrines of Christianity. For somebody who doesn't know a whole lot of theology, they would look at that and say, why aren't we unified? Well, Roman Catholicism does not believe in justification by faith. You have to add works to it. In fact, as you quoted if you don't believe works are necessary, then you are anathema. Right. But when you look at the difference between Roman Catholic justification and biblical justification, they are so antithetical. One was revealed by God, the other was invented by man. One is by grace, the other is by merit. One offers divine assurance, the other offers only a false hope. So we must stand firm on this antithetical position Because if we don't, the whole purpose of the gospel would be lost. Yeah, that's right. Well, and there's so much more to the solas. I want to get into that in a little bit more depth. In particular, I want to talk some about scripture alone. Boy, are we in a day and age where we need to recapture that, not just the fact that the Bible is inerrant, but that it is sufficient for all that we face in life. We're going to come back with Mike Gendron from Proclaiming the Gospel. Stay with us on Janet Meffer Today.
The UN has called what's happening in Lebanon the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. COVID-19, political upheaval, a crumbling economy, and two million refugees, children and their families, living in poverty and despair. But in the middle of it all, God is at work. More Muslim-cultured people than ever before are putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And through your generous support, Heart for Lebanon is being used to bring these hurting people from despair to hope. A single gift of 100 helps bring a child and their family survival essentials and the hope of the gospel, which lasts forever. $348 cares for this family for an entire year. We have a goal to take over 50 families off a waiting list that desperately need our help. So we're hoping you'll be as generous as you can when you call 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a Heart for Lebanon banner at JanetMefford.com. Thank you. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We do need to remember the Reformation. You can check out proclaimingthegospel.org, the latest newsletter from Mike Gendron, my guest and founder of Proclaiming the Gospel, is tremendous, addressing why was the Reformation necessary, what did it accomplish, and we've been discussing these things this hour. The differences between Roman Catholic theology on the gospel and the historic Protestant doctrine of justification by faith alone cannot be overstated. It's why we split. It's why we have two different wings there, and and it's very important for Christians to understand this particular sola of scripture alone, Mike. We, we talk about faith alone, grace alone, uh, Christ alone, glory to God alone, but scripture alone, it seems to me, we have to recover that. When you see some of these polls that are taken, you referenced one just a couple of minutes ago, but they do all kinds of polling of people who identify as evangelical. These people don't know which way is up. They don't know any doctrine, and it's just basic stuff. They, they don't understand what it means to be justified by faith alone at all, how much of that goes back to they're not reading their Bibles? Well, I think that's the major part. They're not reading the Bible, and they're going to churches where the Word of God is not faithfully preached. So if they're not hearing the truth, then they cannot discern what is false. And so what happens is these churches are fertile grounds for deception. They don't know a false teacher from a true teacher. And more than ever, we need to be good Bereans. And I think this really shows the supreme authority of Scripture, because when the Apostle Paul was preaching in the synagogues of Berea, he noticed that while he was preaching, they were searching the Scriptures to test the veracity of an apostle's teaching. And so that's a great principle for us to follow. We need to test every man's teaching. If an apostle came under that scrutiny, then we know 
every man, every pope, every bishop, every evangelical pastor needs to come under the same scrutiny. If it conforms to Scripture, we accept it and believe it, but if it doesn't, we reject it. And we also see that um, Scripture becoming the supreme authority during the Reformation was important because the Roman Catholic Church had added its ungodly traditions to be equal in authority to Scripture. And so we see a great example of what happens when you elevate tradition to be equal to Scripture. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus said, you nullify the Word of God for the sake of your tradition. And that's what the Roman Catholic Church has done down through the ages with all of its ungodly traditions. So more than ever, we need to stand firm on Scripture being our supreme authority. If we let that go, then Christ will not be honored. His gospel will not be exclusive. Faith will be misplaced. The church will be ineffective, and men will steal glory from God, as we see in the Roman Catholic religion. When you are evangelizing or sharing the gospel with Catholics, what are some of the barriers to their response to the gospel? I know many people do respond, but what is it like when you are trying to share the gospel with someone who may be a very committed Roman Catholic? Well, Janet, that's a good question. I think the most powerful tool that the Satan, that Satan uses to blind the eyes of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel is religious indoctrination. I know from experience, from the time I could think, I was told the Roman Catholic Church is the one true church, that Protestants are the Johnny-come-latelys, their church only started 500 years ago. And so the Catholic Church really indoctrinates its people to believe that it's the one true church. What they don't teach is that the Catholic Church drifted into apostasy beginning in the 4th and 5th century, and it departed from the Word of God as its authority and started following pagan traditions. But indoctrination is a powerful tool of the devil. The other thing that we have to remember as we witness to Catholics is to establish the Word of God as the supreme authority, and also we need to show that the Lord Jesus Christ is the all-sufficient Savior, because Catholics will be unwilling to let go of what they're trusting in that they are doing until they know Christ has done it all. And it goes back to, is your faith in human human accomplishment or divine achievement? And so we need to look into what we have embraced as our all-sufficient hope. Is it our works? Are we trusting in what we do, or are we trusting in what Christ has done? Hmm. It really comes down to that. It's, it's so simple, but yet no one can be saved if they're trusting in their works and their merit. They must leave that behind and come to the cross of Christ with empty hands of faith. The only thing they can bring is their sin. Yeah. Oh, boy, is that true. So Christ shed his blood to pay the debt for our sin and take on our unrighteousness and take the punishment that we deserve on the cross. And then in exchange, we get his righteousness. I mean, on some level, just as a knee-jerk reaction, you could say, but that's so unfair, Lord. I deserve that. I deserve to be crucified. You deserve all glory and honor forever, which he will have and does have, obviously. But you lowered yourself in order to go to the cross for me. And then you gave me credit for the perfect law doing that you did while you were on earth. It's just mind blowing, Mike. I never, ever get over it. I know it's the greatest truth anybody could ever hear and believe, which is why we need to be proclaiming it faithfully. But what you just stated is my favorite verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21 
there we read, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hmm. And I consider that the greatest exchange in human history. By faith, Christ takes all of my sin, all of my guilt, all of my punishment, and in return, he gives me his perfect righteousness. And it doesn't get any better than that. And you're right, we are so undeserving. It seems so unfair that Christ would take on the wrath of God that we deserve. But that was his mission. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he condescended himself to become a man. And then he lived a sinless, perfect life so that he could die on a cross as a substitute for sinners. And anyone who trusts Christ as their substitute, they are completely forgiven, and they receive the righteousness of Christ, and they have the assurance of eternal life. This is such good news. I know I experienced it as a Catholic. You mean I can have assurance? Hmm. Yes, in 1 John 5.13, John writes to those who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know right here and now that you have in your presence eternal, everlasting life. Amen. That's right. And when you say it as beautifully as you just said it, and you know, sharing the gospel again, it occurs to me how absurd it would be for anybody to try to add to the work of Christ. After that's what Christ did for us, how could we possibly think that some work is going to get us into heaven? It's And, and their evangelicals will think this as well. People who don't know the, the word of God will fall into this trap who are really no better than medieval Catholics, really. They, they may have Bibles, which the medieval Catholics didn't have, but they're not reading them. So what's, what's the substantive difference there? They, they've got the same error. We can't add anything to what God did for us. It is all salvation from God himself, or we won't be saved. You're right. It's really an insult to Christ to try and add anything to his perfect, finished, all-sufficient work. And yet the Roman Catholic Church denies the words of Christ on Calvary's cross when he cried out, it is finished, noting that the work of redemption is finished. But now they continue on an altar what Jesus finished on the cross, and they believe they have the power, the priests have the power, to call Jesus Christ back down from heaven to continue on an altar what he finished on the cross. And this is through the quote-unquote miracle of transubstantiation. Yes. And Catholics worship this Eucharist as the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, his physical presence. And by the authority of Scripture, we can say that is idolatry because it's not Christ. Hebrews 9.28 says that he will return a second time and not in relation to sin. So it's a false Christ that is being offered on Catholic altars. And when a Roman Catholic repents and believes the gospel, he must come out of his apostate religion and not participate in this most serious sin of idolatry. Mike, let me ask you, just as we've got about a minute left, I want to get this in. What do you think Martin Luther would think of evangelical churches in America today? Oh, I think he would be bewildered. I mean, I... I mean, to place the Bible back in the hands of the people and then to see the Bible is no longer being preached faithfully from so many pulpits. You know, the Reformation replaced the altar with the pulpit, and the Word of God went forth faithfully. And so that's why so many people were being born again. They heard the Word of God, they repented and believed it, and they were assured of eternal life. We need to return the Bible to the pulpits today. 
Yeah, I, I don't think Luther would like the wokeness at all. Do you? I, I could just. In fact, I would probably pay good money to see Luther react to wokeness if we could teleport him into this year and have him react to this because we, we're getting sidetracked. We're getting sidetracked. We've become fat and lazy and prosperous, and it is killing us as Christians and as evangelicals when we leave the Bible aside, when we leave the gospel of Jesus Christ aside and go to other things. The only thing we can do is repent and re-embrace this great gospel uncovered yet again in the Protestant Reformation over 500 years ago. Well, we are out of time. Mike Gendron from Proclaiming the Gospel. Go to proclaimingthegospel.org for all the good materials he has there. And as always, Mike, just a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to be with you, Janet. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for listening to Janet Mefford today. We really appreciate you tuning in each and every day. Hope you'll do so next time. God bless. This hour of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you in part by Heart for Lebanon. Call 888-247-5499 to give desperate people help and the hope of the gospel. 888-247-5499.